Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, I wanted to talk a little bit about President's Day and the people that we generally celebrate on President's Day. Of course, I could have had this episode come out on Monday, but I thought it was more important to let everybody know about the great Jim Ostrowski's lawsuit against our unelected governor, and all her fellow travelers in the school districts that are still insisting on masking our school children, even though COVID-19 is statistically insignificant risk to them or to the teachers as far as being spread by the school children. But nevertheless, she insists on maintaining these mandates, even as they're being repealed all over the world and in many of our own states. So he's suing her. She may allow this to be lifted by March 7th and somewhat make the lawsuit moot as far as policy goes. I still think it's very important that case be settled to prohibit this and at least make it harder in the future for a governor to do this without at least a vote in the state legislature. Now, of course, I wouldn't want to even see it imposed by a vote in the state legislature. It doesn't matter how constitutional or not these things may be. Everything that's constitutional isn't necessarily good. So if you didn't already check out episode 40 called Taking the Child Maskers to Court with Jim Ostrowski. Please go back and listen to that one. There's links on the show notes page to contribute to the Give, Send, Go fund that's helping fund the lawsuit. Please do consider making a donation if you can. So anyway, on President's Day, we now celebrate two presidents in particular, George Washington. And this holiday was originally just Washington's birthday. That was what it was for a long time, and then it became President's Day because of the sainted Abraham Lincoln, who many regard as one of the best presidents. When historians make their lists, they'll often include Abraham Lincoln as the best president because, of course, he's given credit for ending slavery in the United States, something he really didn't do. 
and really never intended to do per se, other than in a very long-term basis. Kind of like when a president promises to balance the budget within 10 years, okay? That's how Lincoln was with slavery. When he took office, he promised to try and keep it out of the new territories, but he also promised to not interfere with slavery where it already existed. So let's take the list of best and worst presidents that you'll usually hear from historians. And to me, when you read those lists, you can almost read them backwards, where who they have as the worst are really the best, and whoever they have as the best are really the worst. And what are my criteria for worst? Well, first of all, if you get your citizens into a major war, that puts you down near the bottom unless you have some way to justify it and some way to make up for it. First of all, that war has got to be justified or that kind of overrules any good you've done as president because there's nothing worse than an unnecessary war. And Lincoln not only got Americans into a war, he got Americans into a war against each other. Anywhere from 600,000 to 900,000 Americans killed each other thanks to this war, which he emphatically stated was not launched to end slavery. And he was very specific in his inaugural address. He went so far as to pull out the Constitution and say the awful words that he recognized that the southern states had a, quote, property right in their slaves. What worse words can you think of to say than that one person has a property right in another person? But that was fine with Lincoln because he didn't care about the slaves. He didn't like the slaves and he didn't want them around originally. I'll get to that in a minute. But what he did say was, hey, look, all these people are talking about me invading the South to free the slaves. I plan on doing no such thing as long as they pay their taxes and as long as they respect federal property. Now, at the moment that he said those words during his first inaugural, South Carolina did not consider Fort Sumter federal property. South Carolina had voted to leave the United States. And they had seceded from the Union before he ever took office. So when he said that they better respect federal property or he was going to invade, kind of indirectly he said that, this was a declaration of war to the South. And then when he tried to provision Fort Sumter, they took that as an aggressive act. At the same time, by the way, they had agents in Washington attempting to negotiate with Lincoln to pay for Fort Sumter and other what they considered previously federal property. You don't have to like the Confederates to condemn Lincoln for his whole handling of this situation. I wrote a piece many years ago called something to the effect of both Lincoln and the Confederates were awful. And I'll post to the show notes page about this because it is true that the first initial states which seceded from the Union before Lincoln was inaugurated did so because they thought that eventually slavery was going to be threatened, even though the Republican stance was, we only want to keep it out of new territories. They thought in the long run that this would mean that all the new states, of course, would be non-slave states, and eventually there'd be enough of them to get an amendment to the Constitution outlawing slavery. So they seceded basically because they thought the Republican Party represented a threat to slavery. Now, not all of the states that eventually became part of the Confederacy seceded for those reasons. 
Later states like Virginia and Alabama and others only seceded because Lincoln then made war upon what they considered rightfully independent states, or at least made war upon existing United States that meets the definition of treason in the Constitution. So it gets a little complicated with the states that seceded after Lincoln took office and after the war began. Of course, again, not defending any of the states of the Confederacy. The Confederacy itself was awful. The Confederate President Jefferson Davis was guilty of a lot of the civil liberties violations like imprisoning journalists over opposition to the war, etc. So you don't have to like the Confederacy, the Confederates, or anything like that to have Lincoln as a very bad president. I don't have him as my worst, but he's down there among the bottom, getting 600,000 to 900,000 Americans to kill each other over what? Over basically the threat that he would lose the tax money from the seceded states to fund his very big government program. A lot of people don't realize the rest of Lincoln's platform besides anti-slavery. Anti-slavery was the good part of Lincoln's platform, but all the rest of it was terrible. It was basically the Whigs' system of big government spending to subsidize government infrastructure, something that had lost election after election during the first half of the 19th century. The Whigs wanted to get government into the infrastructure business. Lincoln was a lifelong Whig, and the other planks of the Whig system, and this grew out of the old Federalist Party system, starting with Alexander Hamilton, were high protectionist tariffs and a central bank to underwrite with inflation all of what couldn't be underwritten with the high taxes as far as government spending was concerned. Just take Lincoln at his own words in his inaugural address. And even as late as 1862, he's writing a letter to Horace Greeley where he's downright annoyed that people keep accusing him of fighting the Civil War to free the slaves. And he says, I'm doing no such thing. I'm doing it to save the Union. If I do it to save the Union without freeing a single slave, then that's fine with me. If I free all the slaves in doing it, that's fine with me too, as long as I save the Union. And again, think about it. Why does the Union have to be saved? because he wants the tax money to underwrite his big government program, and he doesn't want a free trade zone on his southern border that's undermining the high tariffs he's going to impose on the seaboard. Lincoln, his motivations were rotten, and the last thing I'll say about him, he was also a proponent of one of the more idiotic ideas in American history, and this goes back to Jefferson. They were so afraid that once the slaves were freed, that they would kill all of their former masters and at least millions of white people in the South, if not the North. And Lincoln and the other Northerners had their own reasons for not wanting them around once they were freed. Lincoln said some very racist things about African Americans. So his idea was to free them and then to ship them off the continent, anywhere that they could send them. Liberia, which had been created in Africa for this very reason, or send them to South America, to the Indies, wherever. And historians have tried to say, well, he started to let go of this idea over time. No, he didn't. Just weeks before he died or was assassinated, 
He still had his secretary of state working on this crazy idea, ordered him to try and determine how many ships would it take to get every African-American off of the North American continent and shipped out somewhere else. So this man did not like African-Americans. He said so. He was a white supremacist in his own words. He did want to see slavery ended and absolutely support that belief. But this was not a good guy. He didn't fight the war for any good reason, including to free the slaves. He said so repeatedly. He got cranky when people accused him of that. And so he started a war basically so that he could keep the taxes of the seceded states for his big government plans. I have him near the bottom, but not the worst of presidents. So that's Mr. Lincoln, half of the presidents we celebrate on President's Day. And I might as well talk a little bit about Washington, who was one of the best. And I don't have him as the best either. There are some things that George Washington did as president that I don't agree with. Signing the first national bank into law, although he first solicited opinions from both Jefferson and Hamilton before he did it. But one of the crowning achievements of Washington's presidency was avoiding a potentially disastrous war with England by signing the Jay Treaty. And this came at a huge political cost to him. Washington could do no wrong. He was so respected by both parties while he was president that both Hamilton and Jefferson, whom by the time hated each other, begged Washington to stay on for a second term as president. And just the fact that Washington wanted to walk away and go back and retire to his home in Virginia tells you this is a man that we should respect. He never sought additional power, and I have him near the top but not at the top because of the many instances where there was an opportunity to claim additional power where he declined to do so. And even at the end of his presidency, there was no amendment to the Constitution and nothing in the original text that prevented him from going for a third term. He thought two terms was enough, and he declined to run for a third term as president. So a big salute to Washington. Wasn't such a great tactical general on the field, unfortunately, but he was a great leader leader of people, and he had a great respect for liberty and had a great respect for restraining the power of the president, and so he's near the top. Let's take a short break for this important message. Most people consider it a fact of life that prices are going to go up over time, and they've never gone up as fast as they are right now. But what if I told you it wasn't always like that? that for over 100 years, prices went down in America even as the economy became more productive. Well, it's true. And as much as we like to blame the president when the economy is bad, presidents really have very little effect on our modern economy. The real culprit behind not only price inflation, but the constant booms and busts we suffer is the Federal Reserve System. My new book, It's the Fed, Stupid, is an appeal to Americans across the political spectrum to stop focusing on things that don't make a difference and start focusing on what does. Whether you're worried about constantly rising prices, wage stagnation, increasing wealth and income inequality, or the massive expansion of the government's size and power, 
They can all be traced back to an institution the powerful would prefer you ignored. Download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com and find out what you should really be fighting against. And now, back to our episode. You work on the answer, then you quietly save the day. You were right, Mr. Spock, about everything you said. We humans just are logical, too crazy in the head. So let's talk about a few of the others briefly that usually make the best of list for historians. And I'll tell you what always secures a place near the top is that the president did something significant to change American history during their presidency. And it never occurs to historians that the significant things presidents do are never in the interests of the average American taxpayer. They make history usually because they either change the Constitution or, as I said, get us into another war. Now, Teddy Roosevelt, he's usually lionized by people on the right because he was a Republican. But this was really the first president who reversed Washington's precedence. He's the first president who expanded the presidency with this goofy idea he was the only person that represented all the people, because unlike a senator who's just elected by a state or a congressman who's just elected by a district within a state, he's elected by the whole of the people. Now, of course, he's elected by the states, not the people, but let's not get into that. Either way, he overturned a hundred years of precedence where basically other presidents had followed Washington's lead on limiting the powers of the president. All of Roosevelt's supposed trust busting was an invasion of property rights. It never turned out economically advantageous to the American people as most government intervention doesn't. So he's lionized by the right as this great president. I have him near the bottom, not the worst. And I should say one more thing. Roosevelt was a huge interventionist in South America. And here's the other thing that he did on the sly. And I'll link to the relevant article to this by the great William Grigg. Roosevelt actually told the Japanese to go into Manchuria that they should be, they are the only worthy Asian nation that is somewhat like the European nations and thought that Japan should be kind of the junior empire in Asia. And one of the things they should do is keep the Chinese markets open for U.S. businesses. And he said, I could never get away with this if this was public. He said, after I'm not president anymore, I'll be glad to support this but that they should go into China. The thing that FDR used as his excuse to provoke the Japanese into bombing Pearl Harbor, namely their activities in China, those were activities encouraged by FDR's own cousin, Teddy Roosevelt. This was a bad guy, terrible for freedom, terrible as a precedent for American presidents because a lot of the imperial presidency grows out of Teddy Roosevelt horrible guy, near the bottom, as was not his successor, but the president who came one after his successor, which is Woodrow Wilson, also a guy that got us into a huge war that 
you know, is promoted by those that believe in the almighty state as some great, wonderful thing. There's no argument that this benefited the American people to get into a war in Europe that was essentially between the old royal families that were all interrelated anyway. In fact, the Kaiser Wilhelm was a a nephew or relative of Queen Victoria. And again, this was a war that the United States didn't need to get into. This was not against Nazis, by the way. Pat Buchanan's book, in addition to saying World War II was unnecessary, paints a much more objective picture of the way World War I started. And there's a good argument to be made that had Woodrow Wilson not intervened in World War I, the Germans and the Allies would have made an armistice that was much fairer than the one that led to the Versailles Treaty, and Hitler would never have come to power because the Germans would never have been in such dire economic straits as they were under the Versailles Treaty. Now, you can look into that and research it as much as you want. I happen to agree with that. You don't have to agree with it on my word, but I'll bet you never heard that theory before, and you got to really ask yourself, why not? And doesn't it make a whole lot of sense that if Hitler was a response by the German people who obviously went crazy under extreme economic distress and allowed this maniac to come to power, would only do so under these dire conditions which would not have existed if the U.S. didn't jump into the war. So for one thing, Woodrow Wilson campaigned for his second term on the promise he kept us out of the war, then once he got elected, he got us right into it. And on the home front, everything about his domestic policy was terrible. He hoped, actually, that we could put the American economy on a wartime footing. He wanted it to be a command economy, which is basically what a socialist economy is. It's one where leaders at the top give orders about what's produced and what's bought and sold and at what price. Woodrow Wilson did a lot to establish that during the war, hoping that it would stay around after the war. Fortunately, that didn't happen. For a short time, Harding and Coolidge, who ran a return to normalcy, backed up a lot of Wilson's policies, but only for a limited time. So I have Wilson down near the bottom, second worst, third worst, you make the call, but he's in the four or five worst presidents, along with Teddy Roosevelt and Lincoln, for me. And in the interest of time, I'll skip going with everybody that I made a note about, but I will say the all-time worst for me is FDR, and I've done some other stuff on him, so I won't spend a lot of time, but basically the New Deal destroyed the Constitution as it previously existed. It transferred legislative power to the executive to the extent that even in this latest vaccine mandate decision, The Supreme Court, and this is the most libertarian judge, Gorsuch, writing that most federal law is actually made by unelected administrative officials in the executive, not by the Congress. That's all a result of the New Deal. And FDR also gave us the horrible Social Security program. I've done some episodes on that. Worst president in history, often up near the top, either at best or second to Lincoln, So this is completely backwards. These are the worst. These are the people who destroyed the American Republic, made it an involuntary association, however you want to term it. We're terrible for freedom. We're terrible for our country. So let me give you a couple more. So we've got Warren Harding, 
and Coolidge, whom I don't have either at one or two, but I would say they're the last good presidents in American history, the last that did more good than they did harm, because they undid so much of what Woodrow Wilson put in place. And Warren Harding never gets any credit. He's always on the list among the worst presidents by these historians. And of course, this is because he didn't do a lot and he was haunted by scandals. He liked to party. He liked the ladies. Okay. But that really has nothing to do with how he governed. And he gets no credit for the Great Depression of 1920 to 21, the one you've never heard about because it was over within 18 months. Although by every metric that economists use to measure these, it was worse than the 1929 recession. So why did that one last 17 years while the 1921 depression lasted 18 months? Because Harding mainly didn't do anything about it. He wanted taxes cut. He wanted spending cut. He did support a few tariffs, but they got in place too late to do anything. So Harding basically did the right thing in response to the Great Depression of 1920 to 21, and that's why it was over so quickly. Unlike FDR, Hoover and FDR, I should say, both of which were interventionists, Hoover is seen as this laissez-faire president, which he was not. Most of the New Deal were his ideas that FDR only expanded greatly upon. Warren Harding, probably along with Coolidge together, as Coolidge just came in when Harding died in office, put them together and they're the last good president and among the best in history. I want to talk for a minute about John Tyler. Now, a lot of you probably have no idea who John Tyler is or what he did. He's one of those postage stamps presidents. I have him in second place. And this is because John Tyler, although a member of the Whig Party, was also a defender of constitutional limits on the federal government. Now, William Henry Harrison, who some libertarians, they credit him as the best president because he died about 30 days after he took office. So he didn't have time to do anything terrible. Maybe on those criteria, he was the best president. So John Tyler comes into office, and he came in at a time when the Whigs finally had a political majority, and they thought that after losing for half a century their quest to establish government in the infrastructure business and high tariffs and other things, they thought we can finally get these policies through. And what happened? John Tyler started vetoing the bills passed by his own party in Congress he was so opposed to violating the Constitution, even for things he probably wanted to see done, that he was kicked out of his own party. So any guy that gets kicked out of his own party for standing up for the Constitution is certainly up there on my list of best presidents. I've got him in number two. And of course, the number one best president is Grover Cleveland, of course, I'm not just saying that because he was a Buffalo guy, although he wasn't born here. His political career really started here, and he was a mayor of Buffalo and governor of New York for short periods of time. This is the guy who vetoed more bills than any other president in history at that time. He constantly defended the free market, refused to redistribute wealth, even for the sainted veterans who he flat out vetoed their bills because he thought they were unconstitutional. 
And it wasn't the government's job to take care of people, even those who served in the military. Same with bailing out farmers after this disaster in one of the states. He vetoed those bills. Not only was he a defender of the free market, not only was he a defender of hard money, who actually did end the panic of 1893, contrary to the false history you were taught in school, but he also resisted invading Cuba under tremendous pressure from the war hawks during his whole presidency. This was a war, not particularly Cuba, but against the possessions of Spain in the Americas that the conservatives, that the war hawks had wanted since the days of Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton wanted a large army to invade the Spanish colonies, thinking that they were weak and it would strengthen the American empire. And they were pushing for a way to do this for literally 100 years. Grover Cleveland resisted. Of course, McKinley didn't. And McKinley is largely seen as the president who ushered in the American empire internationally, changed us from a republic to an empire in that regard. Of course, we then got into the Philippines and took over all sorts of possessions formerly of Spain after the Spanish-American War. So McKinley, of course, is near the bottom. Didn't want to see him shot by the people in my own city, but certainly wouldn't have wanted to see him as president either. So those are just a few thoughts on my list. Of course, President Joe Biden, not too many people think he's going to be among the best presidents, but look what he's doing after a completely failed presidency where even some members of his own party are keeping his legislative agenda from being passed. What's Biden doing? He's trying to get a nice little war started in Ukraine that he thinks he can keep limited or at least look strong and establish his legacy by getting us into a war. So, of course, this could turn out to be a big disaster. Hey, it's not like any world war ever started over some insignificant little Central European country. Good gosh, no, no one ever learns from history. So I think that Putin's restraint, even after he has sent troops into the Donbass region, will eventually win out. I think he's going to end the violence there, as he did in Kazakhstan, as he did in Georgia, and that's as far as he's going to go. Let's hope so, because he's just another national leader, too. And what the United States State Department has done to the Russians in the last 30 years has been nothing short of criminal. Promising the Russians NATO would not advance any farther eastward in 1991 than where it was, and then rolling the alliance right up to Russia's border. Russia has been saying, yet means yet, as far as Ukraine goes, and now we know he was serious. So let's hope it doesn't go any farther than so-called peacekeeping in those two breakaway republics. And Biden doesn't earn himself a spot on at least the list of 10 worst presidents who got us into a war. Or if he starts a world war with a nuclear power, of course, he might just get to be number one. So that's all for today. I've got the great Suzanne Sherman coming back to talk about her new book on Friday, and I'll see you all then. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. If you haven't already, don't forget to download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening.
The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.